0: Today on the Southland Christian Ministries Sermon Podcast, Rebecca Brock speaks to the 2023 Ladies Retreat in a session entitled, Submitting to God. There is tremendous comfort in that truth. If the winds and the waves sweetly obey his voice, that's a comfort, but it's also a challenge. How much more should we obey his voice? our creator all right tonight i want to talk about a word brace yourselves here we go submission (laughs) how many of you just love that word you're already getting the warm and fuzzies you know young or old male or female short or tall quiet or outgoing No matter our skin tone, our ethnicity, our generation, our personality, we just generally don't like submitting. I taught kindergarten for four years. It was a wonderful joy. We were learning Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, boys and girls, what does that mean? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That means the Lord is the shepherd, and we shouldn't want to be the shepherd. (laughs) I loved that. Exactly. (laughs) Too often we get things mixed up, and we think we're the shepherd, we got to lead everybody, and we don't generally like this idea of submission. Very perceptive kindergartner. What's the first thing you thought of when I said the word submission? Probably husbands, right? We have that word association going on. Well, can I tell you tonight that there is a much deeper submission that we need to settle way down deep in our souls before we can submit to any God ordained authority in our lives we need to have a deep settled commitment that God is my creator he's my ultimate authority he is my king and my lord and I will obey him I will submit to him that's settled that's my role with our children, I had a reoccurring conversation with them when they were young. When they would disobey, when we had a discipline situation, I would you know, get them and I would say, Now, Jane, did you obey Mama? No. And I would say, Who made you? God made me. And what's God's rule for kids? Children, obey your parents. And I would say, yes, God made you, and God set the rules, and God says, children, obey your parent. Who's your parent? Did you obey? No. And I can't tell you how many times we had that conversation on repeat. Why? Because I didn't want my children to obey me because I was bigger and stronger and because I said so and I could enforce it. I wanted them to obey me out of a heart of submission to God, that they recognized that there was a more ultimate submission than submitting to me. The Bible says very clearly in James chapter 4, it says, Submit yourselves, therefore, unto God. In the context, it says God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit yourselves to God. The idea of submission is knowing your rank. It's a military term that's kind of know where you fall in the chain of authority, and we want to be the shepherd. And we are not the shepherd. We have to know the proper authority structure. And it begins with God is our creator. And I love that James tells us that God resists. That's the idea of, of putting someone under siege. Ho- hold, withholding all supplies going in and out. God resists the proud, the person who refuses to submit. But what does he do to the humble? He gives grace and more grace, and more grace. So therefore, friends, we want to learn submission. We want to be recipients of God's grace, and submitting to God is a good thing, because God is a good God, and his authority structures are good. Would you join me in Luke chapter 1? I want us to see tonight a familiar story, but I want to look at it through this lens of an example of submission. We're going to talk tonight about Mary. You know the story. And I want to see how she was a tremendous example to us of total submission to God. And we're going to start reading in Luke chapter 1. Let's remind ourselves here of this wonderful story. And we're going to pick up in verse 26. Luke chapter 1. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man named Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she, was, she screamed that's what I would do. (laughs) I find this verse very humorous. When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind. She was trying to decide what manner of salutation this should be. I would not be concerned with the salutation. I would say there's an angel in my house. (laughs) Anyway, um, just a little commentary there. Uh, Verse 30, and the angel said to her, fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, and he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then Mary said unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also the holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Look at verse 37. For with God nothing shall be impossible. Verse 38. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Tonight I want us to see how Mary responds in submission to God. You see the angel greets her and she's visibly shaken at this announcement, this greeting, and he tells her not to fear. And then he gives her this amazing news. You are going to be the mother of the Messiah. And Mary asks a very important clarifying question. Now this is not a question of disbelief. It's just a clarifying question. Zachariah had asked that question of disbelief, like, prove it to me. How shall I know this is really going to happen? Mary says, how will this happen? I am not married. I am a virgin. And the angel fills her in on how this is going to happen through the power of the Holy Spirit. And what is her response? Her response is immediate and total submission. Friends, would you and I have responded that way on the spot? I'm not sure. You may think, well, of course, this is a tremendous honor to be the, the mother of the Messiah. Will you imagine with me where Mary is? She's a girl who was loved by God. She had his favor, his grace on her life. God's attention was directed to her. She was betrothed to Joseph, an upstanding craftsman in the town, who was in the prestigious line of David. And she was in the middle of wedding preparations. She was probably very young and on the verge of just crossing over into adulthood. And if she was anything like me, she was planning her wedding, her head was in the clouds, and she was a little bit in that dreamy stage, right? And then the angel appears with an announcement. And this is a life-changing announcement. What is the angel really announcing to Mary? Mary, life as you know it is over. Mary, you have the great honor of giving up your life for the Messiah. Your reputation will be tarnished. People will not look at you the same way. You will be regarded as the crazy girl who claimed virginity During pregnancy. Your fiance won't understand and will plan to break off the marriage. You will give birth with the animals. No gender reveal party, no baby moon, no fancy photography for Mary. Mary, you will rear a son who will be despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows who knows much, much grief. You will watch in agony as the hateful, vicious mob shout angrily at this son and demand his crucifixion. Mary, you will stand at his feet while he dies. Mary didn't know all of those things, of course, but she stood at this crossroads. She knew this was an uncharted path. No virgins had ever given birth before. Truly, no one would understand what she was going through. And what did she say? Your way, not mine, Lord. Whatever you say, I say yes. I submit. How is Mary able to respond that way? I want us to examine this passage, and I want us to see the character of a woman who is able to submit to God and be greatly used by him. Let's ask the Lord to help us before we jump into that. Father, we thank you for the tremendous example of Mary in Scripture. Lord, we know that Mary was human just like us. She's not to be worshipped or elevated in any way other than as an example for us to follow. And so, Lord, as each one of us in our lives have difficult things that you have asked of us, Would you help us to grow in submission? Would you help us to grow in trusting you and in being able and willing to just say yes to you at every turn? Lord, would you meet with us this evening? Would you encourage us? In your name I pray, amen. The first thing I want us to see is that God chose this woman, God prepared this woman, and she was a woman who embraced her role. She knew who she was she embraced a proper role. Do you see that in verse 38? In her own words, Mary says, behold the handmaid of the Lord. Mary identifies herself very humbly. I don't know about you, but when I hear the word handmaid, I think of one of those European castles with the lords and the ladies and the lady has her handmaid, you know, the one that combs her hair, and she's the confidant, and she gets to be close to the lady of the house and hear all the secrets and share all the gossip from the servants down below, and it's kind of the honored position among the servants. That's not the idea here whatsoever. This word, handmaid, sounds honorable, but it never ever refers to a woman serving others for pay, no pay involved. This is a woman with no rights of her own. This is a woman whose identity is completely wrapped up in her master's identity. This means servant or slave, bond slave. She's literally saying, I belong to God. He owns me, I am at his disposal. She says, I am a servant. That word handmaid here is just the female form of that word doulos you've heard before. It means I am a slave of the Lord. This This slave perspective puts Mary in great company. Listen to some of the writers of scripture. Paul, a servant, same word, of the Lord. Paul and Timosius, servants. James, a servant. Simon Peter, a servant. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ. The servant, John. God has called us to be servants, to recognize that he is the master and our identity should be completely wrapped up in him. This is hard truth. Mary's calling herself a slave. Like Rebecca, that's pretty extreme, slave. It is hard truth. Some of you tonight, some of you might need to be reminded that we are adopted and that we are conquerors and we are chosen and forgiven and accepted and heirs and we are a royal priesthood and a holy nation. We like that list. And that list is important too. But there's the other side of the story. The other side of the picture that isn't always so pretty. you see, Paul said, "I'm the chief of sinners." Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am undone. John the Baptist said, I am not worthy to unloose his sandals. And Mary here says, I'm just the handmaid of the Lord. She says, I'm just a slave. And God prepared a woman who knew her proper role to be the mother of the Messiah. She talks about herself very humbly, and then she presents herself submissively here. She knows her role. Look what it says at the end of verse 38. She says, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be unto me according to thy word. You see, her identity as a slave led her to the immediate response of submission. I'm your handmaid. Whatever you say is Mary's response. She's saying, God owns me. My life is his. God has a plan for me. I'll say yes. God has a path. No fighting his way, not mine. Friends, I am very concerned that we are rearing a generation of young women who don't have a proper view of their role, with whose creator and what our identity is. This sounds very different from the women books I pick up a lot of them are teaching things like, you are God's princess. He has a wonderful, amazing plan for your life. You are unstoppable. Girlfriend, you are awesome. You are stronger than you know. You are brave. You are enough. You are amazing. God just couldn't oh. handle eternity without you. Ouch. And you know, those things I just said, there's, there's some truth there. We are, des- we, are, we are greatly loved and chosen and adopted, etc. But this is not whole picture kind of truth. This is what we want to hear. You see, friends, when God called you, he didn't call you to be a princess. He called you to be a disciple, a follower. Did Christ live as a prince on earth? Should the servant be more than his master? Christ didn't walk around as a prince wearing his crown. And sometimes we get this idea that this is our identity, and we're putting ourselves above Christ and his posture when he came to earth. What was his posture? One of tremendous humility. Philippians 2 tells us that, and he says, we should think like Christ, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, thought it not um, something to be grasped, to be holding on to his position, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. Right? That's our word that we've been talking about. He took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So he had the position of a servant, and that position of a servant was in order for him to be submissive to the Father's will. He came not to do his own will, but the will of his Father who sent him. He is our example, ladies. And this needs to be our posture as well. Christ's submission to the Father as a servant models our submission to God as a slave. When God called you, he saved you to be a disciple, to follow Christ, to give up your life. He did not say, if any man come after me, let him deny himself and take up his tiara and follow me. (laughs) This verse, the Lord has had to work deep into me. I am to deny myself. I am to say no to me and yes to him. I am to put my desires to death and say yes to him and follow. And then there's this wonderful principle afterwards, whoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. The path to real life is not in trying to save ourselves, save our life, save our plans, but surrendering our plans to the Lord. That is the path to true, abundant life. We were called to be disciples. As a side note, the Lord has taught me through some very, very difficult, painful days and through trial that I really believe the right way to cope in a trial is with open hands submission. Do you realize how many ways we try to cope when God sends us something that is uncomfortable? It's a trial. There are so many ways we try to get out from under that. There are so many ways that we process grief the wrong way. And we can become enslaved to other things because we're seeking those things to get out from under the pain, whatever it might be. And I am learning that the best way to go through a trial is to say, yes, Lord. Okay, again, Lord. Uh, Yes, Lord. Whatever you say, Lord. And you walk with him with a heart of submission through the pain. And what are we doing? We're humbling ourselves, and that's an opportunity for grace. Because when I try to get out from under the pain, God is resisting me. He's withholding those resources. But when I say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, whatever you've decided, Lord, grace upon grace upon grace for everything that he calls us to do. We've got to learn to live with open hands, saying, God, I submit to you. And when we do that, this is the place of true freedom. This is the place of true rest. This is the place of true comfort. And if my creator can become a servant for me, is there anything he asks me to do that is too much. No. Mary's heart was so attuned to who she was in relation to God. God's the creator. She she's she's the creature. God's the master. She's the slave. That her immediate response was submission to God. Sometimes we just need to say, God, you're God, and I'm not. Have you ever had to say that out loud in prayer? God, you are God, and I am not. And remind ourselves, because we try to play God, your way, not mine. Take my will and let it be, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Lord, I'm set apart for you. Take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. I delight to do thy will. Oh, my God. Let my soul look up with a steadfast hope, and let my will be lost in thine. Draw me nearer. We get testy with God when we forget he's the master, and we're the slave woman. I want you to consider Job for just a minute. Whew. Job. When God called Job, did you realize that God was giving him an opportunity to suffer? God was giving Mary an opportunity here, opportunity to give up her life and see what God would do with it. And when God allowed Satan to test Job, who drew attention to Job? God did. Have you considered my servant Job? God was bragging, so to speak, on Job. Look at my servant. And when God allowed Satan to bring those trials and those testings to Job, Job did not realize that there was, this, there was this audience in heaven watching to see how he would respond. Would he respond in submission, or would he curse God and die? What was he going to do? God was giving him an opportunity to suffer, and it was really God's stamp of approval on his life. We need to view opportunities, we need to view suffering, and submission times as opportunities. God was giving Mary here a tremendous, amazing honor of giving up her life for him. The tremendous, amazing honor for suffering for him. The tremendous, amazing honor of being in favor with God, even though she would be out of favor with a lot of people the honor of being the earthly mother of the Messiah. God chose a prepared woman who recognized her proper role. I want you to see Mary recognized her role, but she also esteemed God's word. She esteemed God's word. Would you look at verse... 45. I want to give you the context here. We're not going to read all these verses. You know the story, I'm sure. Mary went to visit Elizabeth. She heard, Elizabeth is having a child too. This is amazing. And so she goes to visit Elizabeth. Elizabeth and Zechariah, and when she does, the babe, when she enters the house, John the Baptist leaps in Elizabeth's womb, and then Elizabeth breaks out in blessing on Mary. In verse 42, she says, blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. But then look at verse 45. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. Elizabeth points out that Mary had believed God's word. She believed what God had told her through the angel. What had she believed specifically? Well, she believed that God was going to perform what he said he was going to do. We see in verse 31 that she believed that she, as a virgin, would truly have a son. She believed that he would be great. She believed in verse 32 that he would sit on the throne of David. She believed in verse 33 that he would reign over Israel forever. That she would conceive by the Holy Spirit in verse 35 and that her son would be the son of God in verse 35 again. What was she really believing? She was believing the impossible, but she was really believing what the Old Testament had already said was going to happen. Mary was a woman of the word. Does that sound familiar from this morning? Mary was a woman of the word. She knew the Old Testament scriptures. And so when the angel came and told her these things, it was in conjunction with what she was already looking for. She was one of the faithful Jewish remnants that was looking for the Messiah. She was believing God's word. And when she heard the angel, she's saying, yes, okay. Okay. I believe this. And her first response was to trust God to keep his word. And because she knew God's word, she knew God, and she knew his character, and she was going to say, yes, Lord, I submit. I want you to understand that she had treasured up God's word in her heart. How do we know this? How do we know that Mary had treasured up the word in her heart? Well, we have this beautiful song, right? We call it Mary's Magnificant. And it is full of Old Testament allusions. It is full. Her heart was richly full of truth. We know from the New Testament that we are to allow the word of God to do what? Dwell in us richly, lavishly. Any of you like decorating? My mom and I, we share a love for decorating. My mom decorates every tiny little space. I mean, like, she decorates. There have been times when she's walked into my house, and I love decorating too, but my decorating style is a little bit less cluttered. Don't tell her I said that. All right. I think of it as a little less cluttered. Okay. And she'll say, oh, oh, Rebecca, don't you need something? No, mom. I think I I want my, my eyes to have a place to rest. All right. No, this is good. But when it comes to our hearts, we want our hearts to be cluttered with God's word. We want, if you think of the decorating style of your heart, it should be just every space and nook and cranny should be filled up decorated with God's word. And when we look at this magnificent Bible commentators basically say it's it is difficult to match up all of the truths to scripture because she had so meditated that she was eluding over here and eluding over there and eluding over there. There aren't direct quotes. You know what this tells me? She was chewing on God's word. She was doing what we talked about this morning with that meditation on God's Word, and she was looking at it from this angle and that angle and this angle, and she was putting it back in her own words. This was the, the overflow of God's Word in her heart, and so when, when she finds out she's going to be the mother of the Messiah, she's been already looking for the Messiah, She knows who she is, but she believes God's word, and this is in accord with God's word, and she's trusting God. And so she's able to just overflow with truth. She had hidden God's word in her heart. I would encourage you to take some time to maybe study verses 46 to 55. We're not going to do that, but I'll give you kind of basically Mary's outline In verses 46 and 49, she just extols God for God's goodness to her personally. And then in verses 50 to 53, she extols God, praises God, because God is going to be good to all who fear him, not just her. And so she just elaborates with praise. And then in verse 54 and 55, she specifically talks about how God has been good toward Israel, and how he was going to keep his promise. I want you to notice another thing, that she is focused on who God is and God's characteristics. Today we talked about being in God's word. And sometimes when we open up God's word, we can be um, haphazard in not knowing what our goal is. And can I just encourage you, a wonderful goal is to look every day for a characteristic of God. I'm going to hang on to one thing about God. Because we're not going to trust somebody we don't know. And sometimes we have this real vague idea up here who our God is. And we'll say things like, God is good. God is good all the time. Can you put a verse to that? What are some specific ways God is good? How is God good? How does God display his goodness? Did you know God's goodness follows us? all the days of our lives. Now, isn't that a specific truth about God's goodness? That God's goodness and his mercy is following us? We read in Psalm 23, can I encourage you to get to know who God is? Not in a general way. God is sovereign, yes, but do we, how is he sovereign? God is faithful. How is God faithful? Did you know my God is faithful that every time I confess my sin, he is faithful? I don't have to wonder if I'm going to get forgiven Again, because my God is faithful. Do you know when God calls me to something? He is faithful to do it. And that's talking about sanctification. He's called me to salvation and I can trust him. He is going to be faithful to sanctify me. Did you know God's faithfulness reaches to the clouds? My God is faithful. Friends, it's hard to submit to someone you don't know. It's hard to trust someone you don't know. But Mary didn't have that problem. Mary knew who God was. In verse 49, she knows that he's holy. That's his characteristic, so much so that his name is holy. It's who he is. Verse 50, he has great mercy. In verse 51, he is strong. He has shown his strength. In verse 54, he's going to remember his mercy. He's going to be faithful in his mercy. In verse 53, he fills the hungry with good things. And Mary's able to break out in praise because she knows her God. Friend, do you know your God? He's a good God. We need to know him. You see, Mary had a heart that had been transformed by truth and a character that had been shaped by Scripture. Is your heart transformed by truth? Is your character shaped by scripture? I want you to understand that Mary didn't cram for this test. When it came, she was ready. Have you ever been there? God sends a trial, and all of a sudden you're like, I think God says something about this. Mary was already prepared for the trial. Mary was already prepared for her life to be turned upside down because her heart had already been shaped by Scripture, because her mind had already been saturated by Scripture. And so when the test came, she didn't have to cram. She was already stable. She had stabilized her soul on Scripture. She was prospering. She was flourishing. She was a woman of the Word. Friend, please be in the Word, know God. Know the word. So I want us to see tonight that God chose this woman who who recognized her role, and she esteemed God's word. And then I want us to see that Mary expected a future reward. She was able to submit now because she was expecting a future reward. I want us to see this in her words in verse 48. Well, let's start in verse 46. And Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord. I'm going to boast in God right now is what Mary says. I want to make him great. And so I am just going to praise and boast and extol my Lord. Verse 47, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaid. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me Blessed. I want us to see again that Mary is saying I'm low. I have a low estate. I have a low position. I am a handmaid. And she calls herself this again. Mary doesn't say God brought me low. God is gonna ruin me. God's gonna destroy me with what he's asking of me. God, you're asking too much. God, I shouldn't have to do this. God, I have been faithful to you. I've been memorizing your word. I know the Old Testament. I've been looking for your Messiah, and now you're going to do this to me. Do you know what people are going to say about me? She didn't get testy with God. She's like, you know what? God has looked at me. God has shown favor to lowly little me. She recognized her role, but she knew things were going to get better. (laughs) Look at what she says, For behold, henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. She was looking toward the future. You see, she believed that God was a rewarder of those who diligently seeked him. She she knew that God was going to reward her submission. And under the influence of the Holy Spirit, she said God was going to do, God had done great things for her, and that God was giving her great things and an opportunity to be his servant, and she was looking toward the reward. And this is in the future. She says, Generations will call me blessed. Now, what was the current generation going to call her? Some things I shouldn't say from this pulpit. I can't imagine some of the slurs. Can you imagine how the Pharisees treated her? A sinner. Her reputation was not going to be the same. But Mary here was looking with hope toward the future. She's saying, I'm going to be exonerated. God is going to reward me. In the future, it might not be today, but in the future, God's going to make all things right. God is working all things together for my good. In future generations, people are going to say, wow, how did God bless Mary? There she was, that lowly woman, that that lowly handmaid, and look at the tremendous blessing that I was able to have. You see, living for the future filled her with present hope. She was a submitted slave, and her eyes were on her master, and she was unconcerned with her reputation because she understood the future reward. I love Psalm 31, verse 19. If you're going through a dark valley right now where you're having a hard time submitting to the Lord, Psalm 31, verse 19 would be a great verse for you to carry around on a card. Oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee. For thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. What's the psalmist saying here? The psalmist is saying there's good that you are actively storing up for me. When I fear him, that you are preparing this goodness for me. And we can't always see that. I was sharing with someone today that there was a point in my life where literally I was laying on the floor of my bedroom, face down, thinking, God, you might as well take me home. You're probably done with me. And this verse, this truth, has been a lifeline to me. In the darkness. When all you can say is, yes, God, I don't know what you're doing, God, but yes, God, you're God and I'm not. By faith, we can say there is goodness in store for those who fear him. That's the idea of those those people who are living in a right attitude where, where God is God, and you're saying, I'm just devoted to God. I'm not going to live in fear of man. We know what fear of man is. But sometimes we don't talk enough about the fear of God. What happens when, you, when you're fearing people, you are controlled by people. People change what you say and what you do and where you go and what you dress because you're fearful of the opinions of others. But what happens when you fear God? Nothing else matters. You care about what he thinks. And so you want to say what he wants you to say, and you want to go where he wants you to go, and you want to wear what he wants you to wear. And you're living with this devotion to God where he is controlling all things. And this is where we find Mary, where she says, I'm just your handmaid, Lord. Lord, yes. Lord, I say yes. Oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee. And the second part says that thou hast wrought. God's working. We talked about that in our first session. You have wrought, you're working, you're working this goodness for them that trust thee before the sons of men. People were probably, certainly talking about Mary in the shadows. Can you believe what Mary's saying? Mary says she's a virgin. Crazy Mary. Maybe you're in a place where people are talking about you. Whether they're talking about you or not, people are watching you. Do you know your kids are watching you? Probably the biggest influence, one of the biggest influences that my mom ever had on me was in the trial. My mom was burying a second son, a a, a stillbirth situation. And I can remember standing next to her in a graveyard as we were burying my little brother, a son she wanted desperately And standing there next to her, looking up at her while she's saying, My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. And she told me she knew God was was bringing her to a path, a point of submission. Was was God going to trust her? Was she going to trust God in this situation? And I saw that my mom's faith was real because of her submission. My mom has served the Lord for years. She's invested in women here and there and everywhere. But I knew it was real. Because she said, yes, Lord. Okay, Lord. Whatever you take, Lord. Your kids are watching you. Friends, we desperately need Titus Two women in our church. I stood with a friend in her kitchen, and she was crying, and she said, I have a teenager. And I look across my congregation, and I just don't see anybody that I can really talk to. Any older women walking with God that I feel like I can trust with these questions. As you submit to God, as you walk qu- closely with God in your different trials, as you're groaning in your different ways, people are watching you. And oh, how great is the goodness that God has laid up for you and what he's, what he's working for you as you, before the children of men, you live in a way where people know she's a servant of God. God owns her life. Wow, she's living in devotion to God. We need these kinds of women. We need these kinds of examples around us. Oh, how great is thy goodness. Sister, I don't know what situation God has you in tonight. But in a room this size, I know there are some deep trials. Has God placed you in a situation that's hard to accept, hard to submit? Are you fighting God? Would you raise the white flag tonight? Would you say, God, I'm striving and I'm working and I'm trying to get out from under this, but tonight I say, yes, Lord. Tonight I say, okay, Lord. And I'll probably have to tell you, okay, Lord, in the morning and then in 20 minutes, we have to constantly say, yes, Lord, don't we? Because we take it back and we submit and then we say, oh, God, I'm okay, God, yes, I submit. Would you see yourself as a slave and live with open hands? Would you treasure and trust God's word? I wonder if there's someone here tonight that says, Rebecca, all this slave talk, I just don't get it. This just doesn't sound like religion I'm comfortable with. This whole idea of being a slave, and oh, that's, just, it's just, that's just kind of uncomfortable for me. You know, this makes sense to those of us who have been rescued by God. You see, in our natural state, at our birth, every one of us are going our own way. Scripture says we're like sheep. We've gone our own way. We've gone astray. And each one of us, whether we know it or not, at birth, come in in a desperate situation. We are away from our Creator. You see, our God made us, and He sets the rules. And we go astray, speaking lies as soon as we are born, the Scripture says. If you've worked in a church nursery, if you've worked with kids, you know you don't have to say tonight we're going to learn how to scream angry. (laughs) Tomorrow we're going to learn how to lie. That comes very naturally. God's the creator and he sets the rules and he says, don't lie. And we lie. And he says, treat my name holy. And we say, OMG. And he says, don't murder. Oh, I don't murder. I just hate that woman. And we have murderous thoughts in our hearts. And God says, don't commit adultery. And we say, I would never commit adultery. Meanwhile, we're indulging in self-gratification and pornography. And the list goes on and on. And God says this, and we say, but I'd rather. And God says, don't do this, and we say, but I want to. And Scripture says that if we could keep all of God's laws and just break it one time in one little way, that we are still guilty. Guilty. He's the creator, and when we go our own way, and when we act in rebellion instead of submission, we are outlaws in God's kingdom, in God's world. And God says that the penalty for our sin is death. Scripturally, death is separation. The penalty for our sin is separation from God. The scripture says that our sins separate us between us and God. We've got this gulf and it's our sin that comes between us. And if we go to the grave with that sin, we will have eternal death in a place the Bible calls hell. And that death will be forever. God is a just God. God can't make exceptions. He says that every sin must be punished. He can't say, well, she seems sorry. Well, she seems kind of sorry. Well, she did some good works. Well, I think she's really a good person. Well, I'm going to pass over Matilda's sin. God isn't like that. He is a just God, and every sin has to be punished. But, oh, he is so loving. He is just on one hand. He's a just judge. He says, I'm going to act the same way with every person. I'm not partial. You can't bribe me. There's a penalty for sin. But on the other hand, our God is so loving And our situation so desperate that God the Son himself stepped out of heaven to deal with our sin. Our God came to us. Do you know every false religion in the world will teach us that we need to work our way to God? We can't. Our God knew that, and our God came to us. And out of great love, our, our, our Savior came, took on flesh became a person. Why? Why would God have to take, take on flesh? Why would God have to become a person? Well, he had to be a person to take our place. Do you realize that? It's a human for a human. If, the, if there's a death penalty, I can't say, here, take my dog, kill my dog instead. A dog is not a substitute. A human is a substitute. So we have a human for a human. But because he is God, his death is of infinite value. And his death can substitute for my sin and your sin and you and you and you and all of us. Our God is so loving, he came to pay the fine for our sin. He stepped out of heaven. And here's the truth. The moment you or I call out to him in faith and repentance, in heaven, God pulls out our file. I don't know exactly what it looks like, but we'll just talk. Metaphorically speaking, each one of us has some kind of record with God. And God the Father pulls that out. And when you and I turn to Christ as our only hope and call out to him and say, God, would you be merciful to me, a sinner? I'm going to submit to you. I'm going to wave that white flag. I submit. You're God and I'm not. Will you forgive me? Will you rescue me? The minute we call out in repentance and put all of our eggs in one basket, I'm trusting only Christ's death. God the Father takes Christ's blood, his death, and puts it on my file. And what does he do with my sin? He puts my sin on Christ. He treated Christ as sin, that he can treat me as righteous. And he takes all of Christ's righteousness and puts it in my file, puts it on my account. And so when God the Father looks at me, he doesn't see my sin. He sees Christ's righteousness. Praise God. One of the best promises, I think, in all of Scripture is whoever, whoever, calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Friend, the first submission God wants from you is submission to salvation. Do you know that when Christ was here, he preached, repent and believe the gospel. It was a command. He said, repent, turn from your sin and believe this good news that my sin alone will pay for your sin, that my death alone will pay for your sin believe, repent. And Acts tells us that God has commanded all men everywhere to repent. And we are to obey the gospel. And that is the first act of submission that God wants from you. Friends, we all are enslaved to something. If you are without Christ, you are enslaved to your sin. You are carrying a weight on your shoulders. It's called guilt. It's called sin. And Christ came to free you from that. We are either slaves to sin leading to more sin, or we are slaves to righteousness leading to more righteousness, the scripture says. And oh, did you know that sin and self and Satan are cruel taskmasters? You do not want to be serving sin and self and Satan, but Christ, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Friend, I think in a room this size, there's probably one of you here who don't know the Lord. Maybe you're doubting. Maybe you know you're pretending. Maybe you just don't know. Friend, it would be the greatest joy of my weekend to talk to you about your soul's condition. Christ wants you. He stepped out of heaven to save you. Would you submit to him today? We trust that today's session was an encouragement and a challenge to your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Be sure to like Southland on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and check out our website at www.southlandcamp.org.